How is the nation's poorest zip code revitalizing their downtown core with Opportunity Zone investment? Find out next. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast, the weekly show where we interview Opportunity Zones professionals and experts from fund managers to tax advisors, from real estate developers to venture capitalists. If it impacts Opportunity Zones or the Opportunity Funds industry, we cover it here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Atkinson. Joining me today are two members of the Erie Downtown Development Corporation, CEO John Persinger and VP for Finance and Development, Matt Wachter. The EDDC is a member of Erie's flagship Opportunity Zone, the nation's first organization dedicated solely to promoting a municipality's Opportunity Zones. John and Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having us. Happy to be here today. Thank you. Yeah, happy to have you guys on. So Erie has been hailed as a model for municipalities by EIG, by the White House, and, and many others in attracting Opportunity Zone investment. Uh, guys, why is that? What, what has Erie done to earn that distinction? What are you guys doing a little bit differently? I, I think it just comes down to a lot of hustling. And we've been put in that position because of Erie's history. Erie is similar to many other uh, post-industrial cities. You can call them legacy cities. You can call them Rust Belt cities. They're primarily in the upper Midwest. We've gone through 60 years of economic and population decline. We're now at a turning point, a tipping point for the community. And it's been interesting to see the community kind of get rallied together to try and figure out a way to reinvent itself. I think one reason why you're hailed as a model for Opportunity Zone development is you guys are really about creating a proactive community response to this Opportunity Zone benefit. Uh, you were a part of creating Erie's flagship Opportunity Zone, which I mentioned in the intro is the nation's first organization dedicated to promoting a, municip- a municipality's Opportunity Zones. Can you talk a little bit more about, about that and about the, uh, the prospectus you've created, the investment prospectus, and, and how that's drummed up a lot of support um, in your region and, and nationally as well? Well, we've definitely been um, fortunate to be recognized across the country, but it really comes down to about two years of work leading up to Opportunity Zones. In 2016, the city had a comprehensive plan that was delivered, and it called for a investment in the downtown core. As I mentioned, we're similar to other uh, post-industrial cities. We have a lot of blighted, vacant, underutilized properties, especially in our downtown core. We um, were, we also have a very soft real estate market. Properties here will appraise for about 65% of what you spend to acquire and redevelop them. The comprehensive plan identified this soft real estate market, this need to revitalize these blighted buildings and recommended that a new institution be created. A group of local CEOs and philanthropic leaders got together and they formed our entity, the Erie Downtown Development Corporation, in 2017. They also raised just over $27 million for the Erie Downtown Equity Fund. The role of the fund is to serve as what we call transformational capital. It's to fill in those gaps where projects can't get traditional financing. It's to serve as uh, patient capital because it's going to lend on very friendly terms. 
and it is to take a second or third position behind other lenders. So we got formed, as I mentioned, in 2017. I was hired in March of 2018 um, to become CEO. I had been working at a regional law firm as a transactional attorney, and I had worked, um, one of my colleagues was Matt. Matt was in the uh, tax department, also doing a bunch of business transactions. I was fortunate enough to be able to recruit him to come on board as our vice president for finance and development. And when we were looking at revitalizing downtown Erie, we said we needed to take a shock the market approach and we needed to dump a huge amount of cash and redevelopment into a small concentrated area. But in order to do so, we needed money, way more than the $27 million that was raised. Looking at our downtown, we realized we needed between 125 and 150 million. Uh, as you, you, I'm sure you can imagine, there aren't a lot of uh, places just looking to hand out 100 million dollars in uh, to cities like Erie, Pennsylvania. So, as we were looking at traditional economic development tools, things like state and federal historic tax credits, low-income housing tax credits, new markets tax credits. We also realized that if we pursued those um, tools, it was going to take us a long time and kind of defeat the shock the market approach. It would take a long time because those are all government programs. You're applying on a government program schedule, you're waiting to get approved by government entities and it's not a sure bet. And there are other contingencies that come when you're applying for government programs. But around this time, opportunity zones were coming on the scene and Matt was um, at, still at the law firm when they came, when the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act came online. And it was really the first person in the region to notify, to notice the provision. We saw opportunity zones as a missing piece of the puzzle for our uh, approach to shock the market back to life in Erie. So I'm gonna turn it over to Matt to kind of share some of the things that we did to move very quickly on Opportunity Zones. So Jimmy, what uh, became readily apparent to us was that Opportunity Zones being a provision in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was written for Erie in many ways. And the Erie's like it all over the country. And the beauty behind it is it's not a program, it's an incentive, so it's market-driven. Meaning to the things that John was alluding to, you don't have to apply. You don't have to fall under a government timetable. You're not essentially begging for grant dollars. You have to, you're going after investment. And it's true investment, but it's market-driven, which means that in many ways it can move at the speed of the market. So it was very uh, appealing to us as we looked for ways to raise a really tremendous amount of capital for a um, very challenging real estate market. So believe it or not, we're working in zip code 16501. It's the poorest zip code of the United States of America with median income, something like $10,680 for the people, for the residents who live here. It's not Nashville or Austin, Texas. So to try to find real estate investment dollars is extremely, extremely challenging. Uh, fortunately, uh, there was the Erie Downtown Equity Fund, which was formed and a tremendous amount of capital there being raised, which we can leverage and use as patient capital or first at risk. But even with that, it's still a tremendous challenge to try to bring dollars into uh, downtown Corvieri. What opportunity zones, though, when, when we first saw and recognized the provision, I was at the law firm still. John was really transitioning into this uh, 
well, this new role wasn't even in uh, even in your uh, uh, sight lines yet. But, but what happened was we realized that this was written for Erie and put together a, a group of people because it was a race in many ways to have good real estate, good census tracts certified uh, ultimately by the, by the treasury department and blessed by the governor. Uh, Cause the governors of the state originally had 30 days. It got extended out to 90 to do so. So it, what we realized was we needed to put together a, uh, a map and pick out zones that were logical for this area. Uh, and if we were able to do so and do so quickly, we had a good chance of, getting them blessed by the governor and certified by the treasury department. So we, so we acted quickly, uh, got a, a meeting with the mayor uh, who had been elected for all about a week at the time back in January uh, and our state senator. Uh, state senator is, uh, it's, you know, it's actually a good story because the, the mayor is a Democrat and the state senator is a Republican. State senator had the connections in Harrisburg and was able to push this up the chain. But from that, we realized it wasn't enough. And we worked with uh, one of the local attorneys, actually my brother, who runs a, a municipal practice group and does a lot of municipal consulting because of his connections in that area. And we put together a really bipartisan, broad group of stakeholders in the And we said, we need to act on this and we need to be proactive, because like John had alluded to, we're a community that kind of hit rock bottom. And this being a new tool and something that was written for Erie and for the community, something that we needed to be proactive. And that's where the, the flagship uh, came from. Uh, it was eventually then housed uh, with the chamber and was staffed. And from that, the first exciting thing that, that was really unleashed was the investment perspective. So we went to so I still remember the meeting, John and I went, uh, met with the mayor and said, look, we need to put together investment perspectives. We need to work with Accelerator for America, Bruce Cass, Katzrick Jacobs, and put together a document, which we did uh, the city with the city. And it ended up being the nation's first uh, investment perspectives targeted towards opportunity zones. And it's still in many ways held up a year later as kind of a model for other communities to, to look at. Well, that's great. So you guys were really proactive from the very get-go. You, you noticed the provision in the legislation shortly after it was passed. And I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but, but if my memory serves correctly, the opportunity zones were certified by Treasury uh, that following summer, I think around July of, of 2018. But you guys, you guys were campaigning your governor for your census tracts to be designated as opportunity zones you know, probably earlier that year. So you were really on top of things. I, I get I get emails still to this day sometimes from local leaders asking me how they can have their opportunity zones uh, recognized or or designated. And I, I have to I have to tell them that ship has sailed. Yeah. <laughs> we got in front of the governor and I think it would have been December of twenty seventeen. Okay. So you were right away there, yeah, before twenty eighteen even. Yeah. So that's I mean that's that's really what was needed, but I I, I think you guys are the rare case of a municipal um, organization, municipal actors, really taking that proactive approach early on in the process, noticing that provision in the in the in the law, and taking it to your local your state leaders, because uh, a lot of people, you know, sat on the sidelines and or maybe they weren't aware of the program or maybe they're just becoming aware of the program now and and it's it's too late now to uh, designate new opportunity zones. So I applaud you guys for staying on top of that and and being proactive about that. And then you're uh, again proactive 
down the road in another way, getting the investment prospectus out and and forming the flagship opportunity zone, um, which which is essentially a uh, conglomeration of your of your eight census tracts that have been designated as opportunity zones. So proactive in getting the zones designated and proactive in raising capital for the zones as well. So um, yeah. You know, it's it's not just being proactive though. So it's um, you know, the, the rah-rah and the cheerleading is great and it's important and it's done a it's done a tremendous amount for I think the self-confidence of our region. But one of the things that this tax incentive requires is truly shovel-ready projects. And what's that mean? It means they have to hit their substantial improvement. Um, requirements under the tax rate pretty efficiently. So you actually have to have projects that investors can invest in and invest in today. And that's something that we've spent quite a bit of time on. We've acquired quite a bit of real estate in our downtown core and have been able to leverage the funds that have been raised locally to get to work um, and to actually get to work on uh, not just acquiring the projects, but the actual hard schematic design and taking a look at these buildings how they can be developed and getting the drawings together. So they're actually shovel ready, meaning that we are ready to go. So we're having a lot of success there in raising capital for these projects because we have deals. And that is something that people don't always realize. It's one thing if you uh, have opportunity zones in your community, it's one thing if you actually have investable deals. And that's something we've spent a lot of time working on is actually bringing deals to market that um, investors or funds and take a hard and serious look at because that's not the case in all cases. Yeah, I, I think a lot of other cities and communities around the country are kind of having private developers set the terms, so to speak, and and bring in projects that that may or may not benefit the community. But but it sounds to me like what's happening in Erie is very much municipality driven, community driven from from the ground up. This is an area where Erie's size plays to its advantage. We are a smaller city. We're a city of about 100,000. We have uh, about 270,000 in the region. And the, all the local actors who need to be informed, who need to make decisions, know each other. They've been working with each other for years. So the fact that we are able to get everyone in a room very quickly, make decisions quickly, and move quickly is what's allowed us to catapult onto the national scene. Good. So uh, you told us a little bit about Erie, how it's, you know, a a pretty classic rust belt city population decline over the last several decades. But can you, can you go a little further, paint, paint a picture of the city for us as it stands right now and tell us your vision for the future. What, what is the EDDC doing and what is the flagship opportunity zone doing? What, what's its vision for the future for Erie? A good example for your listeners is our first project. In the fall of 2018, we acquired 100,000 square feet on a property that is overlooking uh, Perry Square, which is our main central, our main public park, our central park, and State Street, which is our main street. So 100,000 square feet in Erie, that's equivalent to 50 single family homes. It's spread across five buildings and an open lot. In any other city, if you told someone that you had real estate that overlooks your Central Park and your Main Street, that would be some of the most valuable real estate in that city. In Erie, of that 100,000 square feet, 80,000 is vacant 
and has been vacant for years. These buildings are um, falling down. The roofs are caving in due to water damage. There's holes in the floors. There's exposed wiring. There's uh, asbestos. It is not desirable real estate. <laughs> Um, so we, this is, but this is why we exist is because no one else would take on this project. We are going to transform that block into Erie's first culinary arts district. It's going to feature a, uh, public market, uh, to address, uh, Erie being a downtown, a food desert, a USDA designated food desert. It's going to, uh, feature Erie's first food hall. It's going to feature a community kitchen. And it's going to have a culinary incubator. In addition to those components, there will be several other uh, ground floor retail spaces. And right now on the upper floors, about 100 residential units. When it, all that is said and done, we're going to pour between 33 and $39 million into that block. It is going to create uh, 25 new businesses between 250 and 350 new employees. And here's an um, unintended, I think, consequence that uh, my uh, colleague, the tax law expert, likes to talk about, and that's the revenue generated to our municipalities. So we talk about um, unintended consequences quite a bit as if it's a bad thing. And one of the things and merely misnomers about opportunity zones and what uh, the tax incentive is, is that it's a federal tax incentive, okay? So in most cases, the state or local tax bodies, right? So these local municipalities that in many ways provide the essential ser social services that most people uh, rely on day to day, not affected, it's gonna be benefited. So this is from the real estate perspective. So in this first project that we had mentioned, it currently pays something like $28,000 real estate property tax. If we're able to, revitalize these buildings and raise their tax assessed value tremendously, they could pay back in the envelope about $800,000 a year in state property taxes. Well, what do real estate property taxes do in Pennsylvania? They provide for school district, the city, and the county. So this really truly critical uh, social services that are in a municipality, local municipality, We're talking about buying textbooks. So that's something we're really excited about as, as, as we move through on this project and are able to raise dollars uh, through this incentive because it's going to help shore up uh, a local tax base for everybody. So that's exciting. But, you know, the story is just not there. And we talk about real estate because we're a nonprofit formed for, to tackle very challenging real estate development. But in Erie, there's also an innovation district, an Erie innovation district that was formed uh, more or less simultaneously with us, and they have a great staff and are very uh, and are doing some really tremendous work. Uh, but at our Erie Homecoming event, uh, just about August, it was August twenty first and twenty second. There were a few big announcements, and the one that one announcement that pertains to us, we can get into. But first announcement I want to talk about, and something that's not always looked at was uh, investments for business startups. So our innovation district was proud to announce the formation of, formation of funding of a $10 million fund from um, Capstone Impact Investments. And that money being generated is, is, is raised to invest in startups coming out of the Erie 
business accelerator, uh, which they which they run. That's phenomenal. And that is actually phenomenal. So there's actually seed money being generated for businesses graduating from an accelerator, a technical accelerator, out of Erie, Pennsylvania. In many ways, that was the original intent of uh, this tax incentive was to get startup dollars into out of places like Silicon Valley and into places like your EPA. So that's something that we're really excited about. The second was we were able to announce that we secured our first uh, investment into the food hall that John had mentioned. So that's going to be a $3 million investment. And that investment was made by a, a local Fortune 500 company that formed a qualified opportunity fund. Uh, so Erie Insurance uh, formed a $50 million fund, uh, made its first investment in our uh, culinary arts district, and we're in, we're in talks with them about potential for further investment. We're very optimistic there. But there's another example. So we got two things. We have one, we have outside capital being invested in the startups that are coming out of Erie. And then second, we have homegrown capital being invested back into the community. Um, Bruce Katz, who we've worked a lot with, talks a lot about wealth and this redirection of re rewiring of capital, I think is the phrase that he coined. And it makes a lot of sense because the concern is that you have communities like Erie or Akron, Ohio, or Youngstown, Ohio, or South Bend, Indiana, you name it. And there's a lot of wealth that's being generated in those places. But where does it go? It goes to money managers in New York or San Francisco and is not necessarily being reinvested back into the communities where it was generated. This allows capital gains that are being generated in the community to be reinvested back into it. And it gives those investors that additional kicker that they need. Because so when you take a look at IRRs, right? Internal rates of return, we can't always compete with with the rate with the rates that you're with the returns that you're going to get in those really hot communities like North Carolina or in Nashville or in Austin. But this is an incentive to help get those dollars back into communities like Erie and that unintended benefit that we talked about, it's going to really be the result. Uh, so hopefully we're able to shore up uh, the local real estate tax base and help bring more jobs into the community through, uh, through investment in startup companies. Yeah, I think that's a point that doesn't get nearly enough attention. I don't know that I've had it brought up on this podcast at all in any, any previous episode that that benefit of increasing the local tax base, being able to take that money and and improve the social services in that in that community, improve the infrastructure, improve the public school education. I think that's an incredible unintended consequence, as as you referred to it. I think that's a good way of describing it. That's that's incredible that that uh, that tax revenue that you're going to get from that downtown building on Main Street there is going to increase by. By that much, um, not to place too much of an emphasis on it, but the, take for example the city. They have a eleven million dollar deficit on a budget of about eighty million dollars. They're we are giving them thirty seven thousand dollars right now from those properties. When we are done, we are going to be giving them over eight hundred thousand dollars. So it's quite a significant increase to help them plug the holes that they have. And that's just one development. So I mean, right? That that if that you, yeah. you're able to scale that out across several city blocks, you can kind of do the math there in your head and and realize this this could this could be big for Erie. Correct. Sure. I mean, there was a flight to the suburbs, like in many communities. Um, so our the size of our county has been kind of stagnant uh, for for many many years. But the population of the city of Erie has declined dramatically. Well, 
no secret, people fled to the suburbs. So this gives us an incentive to help build up the uh, potential residential base in our downtown core, which simply doesn't exist now. There, there is a severe lack of residential housing market rate. That's going to have really positive effects for, for this community and have a real ripple effect down the road. So that's something we're, we're very excited at as, as we look forward um, to, to really the future and hopefully how this federal tax incentive is going to help drive private investment into communities like Erie and, and those communities like it around the country. So, so what has the Opportunity Zone program done for Erie so far? And by that, I mean, like, how, how has it accelerated? your development timeline. You had mentioned before that, you know, I, I, I believe you had gotten uh, funding for about $25 million in funding, but, but you kind of estimated that you needed between $125 million and, and $150 million. So, so how has the Opportunity Zone program kind of helped, uh, helped supplement that, that capital stack required and, and, and accelerate your, your development timeline so far? Opportunity Zones is shrinking our development timeframe from 25 years to five years. Before uh, I was hired, the board uh, engaged a consulting firm to advise on a sort of strategic path going forward. The path that they set forth basically said that it would take between 20 and 25 years to complete these projects. Again, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of that is because you're relying on government programs and that is all about timing and government funding cycles. So it really draws it out. But with Opportunity Zones, it's the free market. So when investors are looking to make an investment, it's when we have shovel-ready projects and when they have capital gains that are available. It's not contingent on the yearly government cycle. So with um, our projects for our first phase, we are looking at between 125 and 150 million dollars worth of development, and we are looking to do that in the next five years. It's also allowed us to put Erie on the map. So, by working proactively, and John described it as hustle, which in many ways it was, um, it's allowed us to at least get on the radar of these potential capital sources. So we've been able to meet with some of the largest financial institutions in the world and been in meetings to them where we literally had to point Erie out on the map, but they were interested in investing in Erie because uh, of the work that's been done, not just by us, but, but as a community as a whole, um, to get the market talking about Erie once again. It's been a long time since they have. So we're not a first-tier investment market. We're not really a second-tier investment market. We're a third or a fourth year investment market, and that's fine. Uh, but it's a challenge because a lot of the institutional investors out there don't have uh, familiarity with Erie that it would with even a second tier investment market, Cleveland or Buffalo or Pittsburgh, so, which are cities surrounding us. So it's been a uh, phenomenal way to help uh, sort of relaunch communities like Erie and to get us uh, into the limelight. Um, limelight again. But I think a big part of that was being first out of the gate in many ways and being very proactive. Um, this is a, like John said, this isn't a federal program. There's no application. It's a tax incentive. And 
investment just isn't going to come to communities like Erie. You need to go out and try to get it. And the, the market itself isn't, it's kind of a misnomer. The, the market isn't actually that efficient. The market's a little lazy. You need to do everything you can to bring an investable product to that market. They're not going to do the work for you, and especially in a place like Erie PA. So we've been fortunate to have the opportunity to do a lot of that early, quickly, and I think in a smart way, um, and had sort of the support and knowledge and ability to, to speak their language and present things for them that passed that initial smell test and then got them talking with us uh, seriously and, and looking at investments uh, today. Yeah, the old field of dreams adage, if you build it, they will come, may not apply to a place like Erie, Pennsylvania, right? You have to go get them. You got to go uh, show them what you got. I guess that's, I guess that's where the investment prospectus comes into play. So does, does Erie, Pennsylvania have the capacity for institutional dollars or, or, or who, who, who is your capital base, essentially? Who, who is investing in your Opportunity Zone developments? Well, it's been led by Erie Insurance. I really have to give them a lot of credit because they are the ones who were instrumental in the creation of the Erie Downtown Development Corporation. Uh, and the Erie Downtown Equity Fund, not only in terms of providing the initial investments, but also in terms of just getting it organized, um, providing some staff resources. We continue to rely on them um, every day for uh, outsourcing of kind of resources. We are fortunate to have two hospital systems located in the community, Allegheny Health Network and uh, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center has a campus here. We have two local universities who are involved um, with our organization. We have a community foundation that manages over $270 million in assets, which is quite a significant sum for a community of our size. We also have um, five regional banks that are involved and some um, manufacturing businesses that are involved. So we're drawing from a pretty wide range of the community. Uh, but again, I go back to Erie Insurance has really been the leader on getting all this um, going. Good. I, I want to shift gears for a second now, and, and I want to talk to a very specific segment of our listening audience, a real estate developer, let's say, who has a project that he's trying to get local support from what what is your advice to him this a, a real estate developer who's trying to get an investment for his project he's trying to get in front of someone like you in erie maybe or in another city in in the united states what is it that that you want to see in a development well i guess the first question is what do you mean by support is it financial support or community support Let's say it's it's both. I think he's looking for both, right? I think he's. I, I I think a lot of these developers are are looking for for community support from from the local residents and from the local re leaders as well. But they're also looking for for uh, for investment dollars. So what's interesting about us is we are focused on revitalizing downtown Erie, but we are a entirely private entity. We have a private uh, board of directors. We don't uh, have any elected officials that we report to. There's no, uh, we are not a government agency. So there's no sort of um, 
public requirements that typically come with government agencies. But so we have a we have a uh, we walk that balance between being a private entity with private investors, but also doing public work in a community. So for us, with our projects, we look at can we make an economic impact and can we make a social impact? Our culinary arts district is a great example of how we're doing both. We are able to make the numbers work um, with the culinary arts district on an economic impact. Thanks to opportunity zones, but also thanks to a liquor license that we're acquiring as part of the transaction. But we're also making a social impact. As I mentioned, uh, that district is going to feature a community kitchen that will be available for members of the community. There will be a community meeting room that can be utilized by members of the community. There's going to be a, a culinary incubator, which will help to create new jobs, um, uh, businesses, and economic opportunity in the poorest zip code in America. So we've been really intentional about the economic and the social impact. What's interesting, though, is we've talked with a lot of social, quote unquote, social impact investors um, around the country. And this may be a controversial statement, but they're a bunch of hypocrites. They, they say they want to make a social impact, but that's only before the economic impact. They, only, they want to see that they can get an economic return. And if they can then also do a social impact, great. We've given them opportunities to make social impacts in Erie. They will make a return on those investments. Granted, it may not be as large as other um, investment opportunities, but uh, what we've been, what we've heard repeatedly from social impact investors is they want investment opportunities that are competitive or more so than general market returns. And uh, I guess to double down on the controversy, they also want to cut a ribbon in a city that they're familiar with and they know the players there and the actors. So to, so to bring in some of those national social impact investors, right? Into a community like Erie, it's really that double challenge. So one, the investment returns aren't as sweet as they are in, a, uh, in, in other communities, but then two, uh, we don't have necessarily the gravitas that an Atlanta has or a Chapel Hill or even a Pittsburgh. So that's another challenge. But to John's point, and, and I think um, sort of taking a look back at your question, that real estate developer, developer better know how to use Microsoft Excel. Because at the end of the day, I think uh, John Letiri, who from EIG, who we've worked pretty closely with, he's got the best quote, and it rings true. It says, look, an opportunity zone is not going to make a bad investment going to make a good investment great we've got a lot of we've got a lot of bad investments here and we've got a lot of good investments we don't have a ton of great investments but this tax incentive helps put us over that edge helps at least make an investment viable to outside investment dollars because they they're there's very little interest in trying to invest in in deals where you only get a three or four percent return right you've got to at least get eight probably more like 12 or 13 percent and that in this tax incentive helps us get there. So if you're a real estate developer, it's great to have a dream. It's great to have some pretty images and renderings, but you've got to be able to get hard construction costs, very realistic um, expectations on what your revenue is going to be in expenses and model out the deal and find what that IRR is going to be 
um, and then go pitch it and bring people on. Because if you don't have the numbers, um, project's not viable. And at the end of the day, if you don't have the competency to put together a pro forma or a spreadsheet, you might not have the competency to run the project. So there is a, there's a skill gap there for a lot of people, but it's a hard reality that they have to uh, realize. No, I think that's a great suggestion. So I think a few things to take away if you're a real estate developer listening and you're, you're trying to get support from a downtown development corporation or you're trying to get investment dollars or, or a little bit of both, your, your deal needs to have a social impact, but more so it needs to have an economic impact and you got to show it. You got to show it with, with a, a real pro forma. You have to tell me what your IRRs are looking like, what your cash flow looks like. And, and just know that, uh, I, th- I love that quote by John Lettieri and an OZ is not going to make a bad deal. Good. It's going to make a good deal. Great. I think you're absolutely right about that. Um, or I think John's absolutely right about that, I guess I should say. And then it, I guess it, uh, may- maybe, maybe another requirement is it doesn't hurt if the project is shovel ready too, right? Well, it has to be, it, it absolutely has to be. So there's a lot of time restraints and requirements on these things. And- Investors have a lot of motivation to invest efficiently. Um, so you, you, you're going to have to do a lot of legwork, I think, to get these deals up to, uh, up to the point where they are, quote unquote, shovel ready. Um, and that we've seen from our experience that investment class wants to see want to have deals that they're ready. They can be turned around pretty efficiently so that they can meet their deadlines and get some cash invested efficient. Good. So I wanted to talk about some of what you view as the biggest strengths and the biggest weaknesses of the Opportunity Zones program, or maybe the biggest challenges that the Opportunity Zones program has thrown your way. I think we've discussed a lot of the biggest strengths already. Uh, one, that it's decentralized. You don't have to, you're not waiting on the timeline of somebody sitting in an office in Harrisburg or in Washington, D.C., to get going with this, um, two, that it's really accelerated your development timeline. Uh, that those, those are two of the biggest strengths. You know, uh, what, what, what are some of the, the challenges that that uh, that you face, though, or, or challenges you're facing um, with with the Opportunity Zone program? So, one of the challenges that we face in general is the layering of investments in a concentrated area. One of the the uh, lesson we've learned from other cities is that to be successful, you have to layer all your investments together, both your public and private investments. While we're seeing or going to see a, a flood of private investment dollars into this downtown area, we are still missing out on that uh, public investment. There's opportunities for the local, state, and federal government to play a role. Um, things like streetscaping. Um, things like municipal assets, like parking garages. These are all things where the federal government could, or state and local governments could play a role. Um, But it would be great to see preferences given to those investments in opportunity zones. Yeah, I I, I agree. Whatever, anything that, uh, that other organizations can do to help streamline the process, the better. The the White House has done a good job of, the president created the White House um, Opportunity and Revitalization Council, and they've directed agencies to f- give preference points to um, projects that are located within opportunity zones. 
but it'd be great to see state. It'd be great to see more of that, and because it's early on, and it'd be great to see state and local governments give those preferences as well. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Well, we're. Uh, I want to wrap things up here in a couple minutes, guys. Uh, thanks for thanks for coming on the show with me today. Uh, b- before we go, make uh, make the case for our listeners now. Why invest in Erie, Pennsylvania? After years of economic decline. Erie sees nothing but upside. There are a lot of other places around the country that are, are the bubble is, is expanding to the point of bursting, but Erie is just getting started. And it's getting started with um, a significant amount of patient capital that's local, that's committed. You're seeing growth from uh, anchor institutions like Erie Insurance like Gannon University, like UPMC Hammett Medical uh, Campus. And you've got new organizations that are organized or have new leadership that are um, making sure everyone is working on the same page and rowing in the same direction. Oh, that's great. So before we go, can you tell our listeners where they can go to learn more about you and Opportunity Zone Investing in Erie? The best is our website, which is uh, eriedc.org. So that's E-R-I-E-D-D.org. You can also find us on uh, all social media channels as well. Good. So, And for our listeners today, I'll have show notes for today's episode on the Opportunity Zones database website. You can find those show notes at opportunitydb.com slash podcast. I'll have some information on that downtown Erie development that we were discussing earlier and links to all the other resources that John, Matt, and I discussed on today's show. Hey, guys, John and Matt, this has been great. Thanks for coming on and uh, hope to talk to you again soon about what's going on in Erie. Thank you so much. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. Visit OpportunityDB.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone Fund investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting OpportunityDB.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.